Welcome to Shorties, a short true crime story. Hello. Hello. Week two. Week two, baby. Happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I like these little daily things. I like like you and I like crime. I like you and I like this and And it's fun and I'm happy. Me too, I'm happy too. Good. (laughs) Me too, happy too. Good. (laughs) Now that we've got that settled, what do you got for me today? Well, now that we've done that, I'm going to bring the mood down a little bit with a a murder story. (laughs) I'm happy. Now change that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I know this is a really well-known story, but I went down this rabbit hole. The first story I picked I'm doing on Wednesday. Okay. And then there was a connection to two other really well-known stories. So then I was like, oh, whatever. I'm just going to do it. Love that. So the whole week is basically like a theme. There's like, they're somewhat connected. It's an old Hollywood theme. Cool. And so it's, it's, you'll know by the end of the week when I've done all my stories, how they're connected. I don't want to give anything away. So the first one I'm doing today is the Black Dahlia. Nice. Can't get enough of it. (laughs) I can. After doing doing some research, I was like, I think I could get enough of this. This is enough. I don't know a lot about it. I feel like it's, you know, obviously infamous, but I think I've listened to like one episode on it at once ever. So I don't know that much. Okay. Well, then this is a very Cliff Notes version of it. Oh. You're not going to be any more enlightened, I don't think. Cool. Good to know <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so just skip ahead. Yeah. <laughs> At 10 a.m. on January 15, 1947, Betty Bersinger took her three-year-old daughter for a stroll in the Leimert Park area of Los Angeles. I just realized I don't know if it's Leimert or Leimert. I feel like Leimert sounds right because like Matt Leinart. Well, that's a different name. How's Well, now that I sound stupid, how is the first part of it spelled? What is how it? is it spelled? Yes. L-E-I-M-A-R-T. Yeah, so lie. Limer, Limer, yeah, Limer. Okay, whatever. Anyways, it's an area of LA. That Lightheart, <laughs> USC, baby. <laughs> this was a mostly undeveloped suburb at the time, so when she passed what she thought was a discarded and broken store mannequin, she just assumed someone dumped trash on the side of the road, and then she looked closer. What she actually found was the naked, severely mutilated body of a young woman. She was 5'5", 115 pounds. She had light blue eyes and dark brown hair. She had been cut in half at the waist. Her body was completely drained of blood, which made her white skin almost translucent. Mm -hmm. She had significant ligature marks on her neck, wrists, and ankles. Her face had been cut from the corners of her mouth up to her earlobes, creating what is known as a Glasgow smile. She had several cuts on her arms, legs, and breasts. In some areas, there were huge chunks of her flesh missing. Her intestines had been neatly folded and placed underneath her bum, and her upper half and lower half had been separated by about a foot. Whoever placed her there had intentionally posed her with her arms raised above her head and bent her elbows at an angle and spread her legs apart. Her body had been thoroughly washed in gasoline, effectively eliminating any potential evidence linking her to her killer. The medical examiner determined during her autopsy that she had probably been dead for about 10 hours prior to the discovery, so she likely died January 14th or the very early morning hours of the 15th. He also noted that the lack of bruising along the incision at her waist suggested that she had been cut in half after she died. Okay. And he also noted that the technique used to cut her in half was commonly taught in medical school throughout the 1930s, which suggests someone with medical knowledge did this to her. 
Her official cause of death would be from blows to the head. So hopefully that means she died prior to all of the horrible things that they were seeing on her bar on her body. But it's yeah. kind of hard to say. Authorities were able to identify her through fingerprints as Elizabeth Short, a 22 year old waitress who had just moved to Los Angeles only six months earlier. Reporters covering the case dubbed this girl the Black Dahlia because they learned she often wore black clothing and there was a movie out at the time titled Blue Dahlia. <laughs> so, they, so they decided to connect they it. just decided. Elizabeth Short was born in Boston, Massachusetts on July 29th, 1923. So she's a Leo. Uh-huh. She was one of five kids who grew up moving around several times, but ultimately they did settle down in like the Boston area. In 1929, her father lost everything in the stock market crash, and a few months later, his car was found abandoned on a bridge, so it's believed that he jumped to his death. Okay. Elizabeth's mom, Phoebe, suddenly had five kids to raise on her own, so she hustled to make ends meet. And even though that was incredibly difficult, she did manage, and she managed to prioritize Elizabeth's health as well. She had chronic health issues that were exacerbated by the cold New England weather, so her mom would send her to stay with close family friends in Florida for a few months out of the year because it was believed that it would like extend her life. Okay. In late 1942, 12 years after her father's death, Elizabeth's family received an apology letter from him. Apparently he had not committed suicide at all. Oh, he just bounced. <laughs> he just abandoned his family and Love he that. started a new life in California. Yeah. <laughs> Love that journey for him. Yeah, that sounds very typical. <laughs> yeah. Despite not having seen her father since she was six years old, 18-year-old Elizabeth promptly moved to Vallejo, California to live with him. He worked on the Mare Island Naval Shipyard, so she started getting odd jobs around there and socializing with a lot of young military guys. Socializing. Yeah, socializing. (laughs) Uh, But she didn't end up getting along with her dad. They fought so much, so she moved out after only like a year, and she ends up moving around the country several times. Because she didn't quite know yet what she wanted to do. So she would just like follow the newest military guy that she was dating from base to base around the country. So your 20s are all about. Yeah. From 1943 to 1946, Elizabeth was in a relationship with a major in the Air Force. But for most of that time, they were long distance because he was serving, obviously. While he was recuperating in the hospital from a plane crash he was in, he proposed to Elizabeth in a letter and she accepted but then he died in another plane crash approximately one week before the war oh ended. Oh, my God. But I guess she stuck with her ML, just bouncing from base to base. Okay. And she follows a guy to Los Angeles in July of 1946. She moved into an apartment behind the famous Florentine Gardens nightclub in Hollywood. And she decided almost immediately that she wanted to pursue acting. So like everyone else with that dream, she got a job waitressing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So there's conflicting information about the different places that she was waitressing at. She definitely worked at the Florentine Gardens. Some people claim that she worked at like the Hollywood Canteen, which was really famous at the time, but there's no evidence that that's true. That's just a rumor. Okay. So the Florentine Gardens, this was a really popular nightclub in Hollywood, especially with servicemen on leave. The club was known as like the hot spot with Mm -hmm. burlesque dancers and really good food and live music and dancing. So for the next six months, which turns out to be the last six months of her life, Elizabeth is establishing her new life in Los Angeles. 
There seems to be no record of her booking any acting jobs, but she was definitely waitressing regularly and socializing a ton and dating a lot of servicemen that she was meeting. So she was living it up. She was living the dream. Yeah. And she like, you know, as much as people like claim she wanted to be an actress, there's no evidence that she was actually pursuing it. She was just having yeah. a good time. All of that is like the first six months of moving to LA. Oh, yeah. On January 9th, 1947, Elizabeth returned from a weekend trip to San Diego with the newest guy that she was dating. He stated that she had asked him to drop her off at the Biltmore Hotel in downtown L.A. She told him one of her sisters was visiting from Boston and she planned to meet her there. Hotel employees remember seeing Elizabeth using the phone in the lobby and then employees at a nearby restaurant recall seeing her dining there a few hours later. After this, we have no idea where she went, who she saw or what she did. Six days later, on January 15th, her mutilated body is discovered almost seven miles from the Biltmore Hotel. Almost as soon as the police arrived on the scene, reporters flooded the area, too. This was such a gruesome murder, so it obviously made headlines. And reporters actually caught wind of the victim's positive identification, and they tracked her mother down in Boston. A reporter called Phoebe and told her that Elizabeth had won a beauty contest. And after getting as many personal details as possible, that's when they tell Phoebe that this was all a lie and that her daughter had actually been brutally murdered. Absolutely awful, disgusting people. A few days after her death, an anonymous anomaly. A few days after her death, an anonymous caller claiming to be Elizabeth's killer told a reporter that he planned to turn himself in soon. He also said he would mail the newspaper some personal items belonging to her to prove that this wasn't a hoax. And then sure enough, a few days later, this reporter received a large manila envelope containing Elizabeth's birth certificate, some personal photos, some business cards, some papers like with random names written on it, and an address book with the name Mark Hansen on the cover, and a letter from the sender that stated he would soon turn himself in. These items were all thoroughly cleaned in gasoline, just like her body had been. And that was a detail that the public hadn't known. So the fact that someone washed it, all that stuff in gasoline, they made it. That's what made the police go, oh, okay, maybe the real killer did do this. But, you know, despite this person's best efforts, they still managed to get a few partial fingerprints lifted off the items. And when they sent it to the FBI for more advanced testing, the evidence was compromised in transit and the prints were destroyed. How do you wash a birth certificate in gasoline? I was picturing. You know what I mean? Like I know. I thought the same thing, and I was picturing like in a dark room with photos where they place it? it. Like I wonder if it was like that and let it dry, and then let it dry, and then you know yeah. did it. Yeah, I would, but I don't know. I've never tried to wash never anything to in gasoline. Wash anything. Period. Anything, especially <laughs> papers. I would never think to put paper with liquid. I would not either. No. They tracked down this Mark Hansen guy who turned out to be a well-known club promoter that Elizabeth actually knew. Apparently, she had recently rejected him when he hit on her, but police rule him out as a suspect. Okay. Eventually, the sender of the items mailed another letter stating that he had changed his mind and would not be turning himself in after all. So apart from the gruesomeness of the murder and the very sensationalized style of reporting in the papers, this particular crime captivated the public because of the lack of clues. It was such a gruesome, gruesome murder but without with any sort of any sort of evidence yeah. linking to anyone her murder was investigated by several different departments hundreds and hundreds of detectives and even the fbi hundreds of thousands of dollars were posted as rewards for any information leading to the arrest of her killer and yet nothing ever came of it 
Since her death, over 500 people have confessed to killing her. And some of those people hadn't even been born when she was killed. They just had to, you know, get that attention. Yeah. Several people who falsely uh, confessed were charged with obstruction of justice. So over the years, there have been many rumored suspects and many of whom have been heavily investigated and eventually cleared. But the one that I'm most intrigued by involves Dr. George Hodel. He was a very prominent physician in Los Angeles who was known to be heavily involved in sadomasochism and the surrealism art movement. In 1945, Hodel purchased the famous Soden House built by architect Lloyd Wright, who is the son of Frank Lloyd Wright. This house eventually becomes a historic landmark in Hollywood, Mm -hmm. but it's most famously associated with Hodel's sadistic lifestyle and crimes that he allegedly committed. Didn't wasn't American Horror Story the doctor that did the um, insane like mutilations and stuff in the basement was based loosely on him. I I think it was supposed to be him. Yeah. Hodel was at one time a suspect in the death of his secretary, but police eventually cleared him and ruled her death as a suicide. He was married several times and also at the same time he was a polygamist. (laughs) Okay. Um, And he had many children with many women and he openly dated other people throughout his many marriages one of which may have been Elizabeth Short, but that claim couldn't be verified by police, so we can't definitively say that. After being accused of impregnating his teenage daughter, Tamar, Hodel was arrested in 1949, but acquitted. He fled the country and lived in the Philippines for several years, and he died in 1999 at the age of 91. At the time of her death in 1947, Hodel's name wasn't publicly associated with Elizabeth as much as it is now, which is all thanks to Hodel's son, Steve. Steve Hodel is a former LAPD homicide detective who always suspected that his own father had killed the Black Dahlia, plus several other unsolved murders of women around Los Angeles in the Mm -hmm. late 1940s. Steve has written several books on the topic, and his family even created the podcast Root of Evil, the true story of the Hodel family and the Black Dahlia, which I highly suggest. I think that's what I actually listened to. Their podcast hit number one on the charts in 2019, and it's a a really well-done show, but damn, is it a heavy hitter. It is so, so heavy, and George Hodel was nothing but evil. That is the only way to describe that monster. He is just- Horrific. Evil. Yeah. There's just, there's no other word. Anyways, as Steve investigated this further, it seems like he was onto something, In 2003, a case file from 1950 was discovered buried and lost in the district attorney's archives, and it was full of notes from LAPD detectives that had been investigating the possibility that Hodel was the killer. There were interviews from eight witnesses who claimed to have firsthand knowledge of a sexual relationship between Elizabeth and Hodel in late 1946. And there were also notes addressing the fact that an 18-man police task force successfully bugged Hodel's Soden house for over a year, and they recorded him saying this to an acquaintance. Quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary. It's alleged that Hodel, being a physician, may have been involved in an illegal abortion ring. Performing illegal abortions was a highly dangerous endeavor, both for the doctor as well as the patient getting the abortion. 
It's been a long-time rumor that many women who mysteriously vanished during times that abortion was illegal may have secretly sought out a doctor, paid cash for an abortion, and then died from complications. And in order to protect themselves, the doctors would dispose of the bodies. So if Hodel was involved in her death, it's possible that maybe Elizabeth had sought out an abortion, died from complications, and then being the monstrous psychopath that he was, he did all sorts of horrific things to her body, then dumped it on the side of the road. Or maybe he just murdered her because he was sick and twisted. And a lot of Steve's claims about his father's alleged involvement have been disputed because he's tried really hard to connect his father to like being the Zodiac killer and like a Got couple it. of other really, really famous ones, which when you like look at the way he breaks it down, it is a possibility. Like the timing checks out. There's a lot that checks out and it's, it's possible, but mm -hmm. it also seems a little bit wild. Yeah. <laughs> a little far-fetched that like he's reaching. all these really famous ones could all be from this one guy. But there's still a lot that Steve has uncovered that is undeniably compelling. This could easily turn into a five-hour episode if I went down that road. So if anyone is interested in exploring that theory further with, you know, George Hodel being involved, just be prepared to go down a very, very dark rabbit hole. I'm prepared. I'm prepared. I'm prepared. I'm prepared to do so. <laughs> the murder of Elizabeth Short has been one of the most intriguing mysteries to plague Los Angeles for the last 75 years. Time Magazine even went so far as to call it one of the most infamous unsolved crimes in the world. Despite the compelling theory that George Hodel might be responsible for her death, there's been no concrete evidence proving or disproving it. And that is the story of the Black Dahlia. Man. I remember um, going to a casting in Hollywood once and I was parking my car and I was walking by this like lot area with, um, there's like three women taking pictures of the lot. And um, as I'm walking by, I wasn't looking at them. I didn't know what they were doing. Sure. I thought they were like zoning, like doing weird stuff. Yeah, I don't minded, know. You're minding your own business. I, I get it. Minding my own bees. And uh, they turn around. They're like, this is where the Black Dahlia was found. Oh. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, oh. And then, I, and then it registered as I'm sitting in the casting that I said, oh, cool, to where a woman was found. Oh, I didn't know anything about the Black Dahlia at that yeah. time. And that was when I... That's when I got into true crime. That was in like 2016. So that was yeah. before those days started. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I take my, these days I, I take back my okay, cool. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's yeah, not heavily. Cool. I, re yeah. I retract that. Yeah, no. So one, I had one question. Um, pregnancy. Was there any sign that she was pregnant when the body was found? I don't remember you saying there may be. Well, she had an autopsy and you can even find the autopsy online, but I didn't, or the autopsy report, I mean. And I couldn't find anything that showed that she was. So I oh, believe okay. that that just means she wasn't. And wasn't she cut at the midsection? It was the midsection. But okay. that her, it was like at her waist. So her uterus would have been intact, you know. But when they, found? Yeah. But the it this is way more gruesome than I included. I, that was like the, the most detail I got. So it's it seems like they whoever did it definitely had medical knowledge because a lot had been done to her insides that either destroyed clues Evidence. or... But I don't really know. Okay. I don't know is my answer. <laughs> cool. <laughs> my question has not been answered. <laughs> well, yeah, that sorry. Was really, I had a lot of attitude, so. Um, well, I was really good. Okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks, girl. Yeah, no Can't problem. Can't wait to see what the rest uh, of the week has in store for yeah. me and our listeners. And you. And, and me. And me me and, and my and listeners and me, and me again. Yeah, all of us. <laughs> all right, all right. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. To view detailed source material, as well as content from today, 
please visit us on Instagram and TikTok at Shorty's Podcast. We really love doing this show. And if you'd like to help with the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Shorty's Podcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley-Johnson and Ana Katarina.